What do you call a cow in an earthquake? I don't know what. A milkshake. There is a mountain right here on the Children's Hour, that done by the Wailing Souls. I'm Katie Stone. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and I'm here with a whole lot of great kids. Hello, everyone, and who's with us today? Hi, it's Joe. Hi, it's Nina. Hi, it's Amaya. Hello, it's Amadeus. Hi, it's Jude. Hi, it's Kybia. Hi, it's Lucas D. Hi, it's Corbett. Hi, it's Cody. Hi, it's Lily May. Hi, it's Max. Hi, it's Daniel. Hi, it's Thorfinn. 
Well, thank you all so much for being here on the Children's Hour out there in listener land and all these kids. We're going to be learning about our shaking planet today, earthquakes and volcanoes. The planet Earth is alive and the masses that we live upon are moving on underground layers of molten rocks. These cause volcanoes and earthquakes. And there are earthquakes a lot on planet Earth every single day. We'll be exploring them with Dr. Wendy Rocks. She's a science communicator and earthquake geologist. The motion of the plates of the Earth can also cause volcanoes. And we're going to learn a lot more about them from Professor of Physics and Astronomy, Dr. Masumi Roy at the University of New Mexico. And we also have a book review from Thaniel on Greeking Out a National Geographic kids book that makes learning about Greek mythology really fun. But before we get to all of that, this is Mr. Parr sings for his sixth graders right here on the Children's Hour. It's an earthquake. Yeah, they will go. Oh, 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 oh,
You're listening to the Children's Hour. Today on the show, we're going to learn about our shaking planet with Dr. Wendy Bohan. She's Dr. Wendy Rocks. She's a science communicator and earthquake geologist and our guest for the hour. Dr. Wendy, welcome to the Children's Hour. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to meet you all and talk to you about our active planet. It is really exciting to learn about it because we live in a part of the country in New Mexico, and we know that our area sometimes has earthquakes, though we never really feel them. Well, that's true. But everywhere is actually earthquake country. It's just that most earthquakes happen on the boundary of the tectonic plates. Has anybody heard of tectonic plates? Yes, I see heads nodding. Excellent. The surface of the earth is covered by that thin skin of rock, almost like the shell of a hard-boiled egg, and it's broken up into pieces. Where those pieces come together, that's where we have the most earthquakes. In the U.S., that boundary is along the West Coast, in California, Oregon, and Washington. So you guys in New Mexico are removed from that boundary, but there's still a lot of activity happening in your state, including earthquakes and volcanoes. Ooh. I read a book about earthquakes. You did? What did you learn? That sometimes earthquakes can break the house. Yes, that is something that they can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they seem like they'd be terrifying to be in an earthquake, but they're so fast. The people I know who have been in them say it's like come and gone in a second, but it's the longest second of your life. Yeah, they can be really scary, and some of them are fast, but really large earthquakes can last for minutes. And so the shaking can be variable depending on the size of the earthquake. But like I always say about earthquakes, don't be scared, be prepared. There's a lot that we can do to prepare our homes, our schools, our roads, and our communities to be safe for earthquakes, because we can't stop them and we can't predict them, but we can be ready for them when they happen. So earlier you were talking about tectonic plates and that they cause earthquakes. How exactly do tectonic plates cause earthquakes? That's such an excellent question, Daniel. Thanks for asking. So when the plates come together, they're moving around. And where they touch each other, you can imagine that there's a lot of scraping and scratching and moving and breaking, but on an enormous scale. And it's very slow compared to our human timeframes. So if we think about California, that's where the North American plate and the Pacific plate are touching each other. And we call that boundary usually the San Andreas Fault. And that fault is moving at about the rate that your fingernails grow. So that's about how fast. And so through time, those rocks are building up stress and strain, almost like when you bend a pencil, it'll bend for a little bit and then suddenly what happens? It breaks. And so the rocks will actually bend a little bit, but after a while, they're gonna break. And when they break, we feel that energy from the rocks breaking as shaking, and that's what we call an earthquake. What was the world's biggest earthquake that we know of? The biggest earthquake we've ever recorded was a magnitude 9.5 in Chile in 1960. Ooh. Which state has had the most earthquakes? Great question. Alaska. Alaska. Alaska records more than 11,000 earthquakes every month. Wait. Did you just say there's 11,000 earthquakes per month in Alaska? Yes. The Children's Hour's on the air all over Alaska. And to our listeners in Alaska, 
gosh, I just want to give you a hug. That sounds so stressful. Isn't it like kind of scary to live in a place with that many earthquakes? Well, not all of them are felt. Most of them are very, very small, but they do on average have at least a magnitude seven every two years. Whoa. What kind of plate boundary are they on to cause that many? What an excellent question. So the tectonics of Alaska are very complicated, but the biggest tectonic boundary is actually a subduction zone where one plate is diving down beneath another plate. And that's where the largest earthquakes on Earth occur. So the biggest earthquake we ever had, that 9.5 in Chile, was on a subduction zone. And all of those magnitude 7s and 8s and 8.5s and even a 9.2 in 1964, most of those are along that subduction zone in Alaska. It's called the Aleutian Trench. And it's like a 4,000-kilometer-long area where one plate is just diving down underneath the other plate. We are talking to Dr. Wendy Rocks. She is an earthquake geologist and a science communicator and educator. We're exploring our shaking planet today on the Children's Hour. The surface of the earth is always changing. Mountains and valleys rearranging. That's because the earth is covered up with giant plates. And when they rub together, we get earthquakes. Shake, 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 shake it, baby. The ground looks solid, but it's waving. It's the motion of a mountain's birth. Bum, 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 but I've got rhythm in my soul. So when the ground rocks, I roll, I surf on the surface of the earth. Just how big these plates are Some are as big as our United States are They are always moving But they're moving really slow About as fast as our fingernails grow Oh, shake, 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 shake it, baby The ground looks solid, but it's waving It's the motion of a mountain's bird
Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back. The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated. We're a New Mexico-based nonprofit organization supported by listeners just like you. Learn more about us at childrenshour.org. The New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs supports the Children's Hour. Celebrate diverse cultural communities of New Mexico at nmculture.org. Support for the Children's Hour provided by Electric Playhouse in Albuquerque, New Mexico. More info at electricplayhouse.com. You're listening to the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. Over the break, you heard Crowander. And before that, Mandy Moore brought us I Feel the Earth Move. Rita Abrams and the Children's Circle had Earthquakes Are Scary. And way back when, Tom Knight from the Classroom Boogie brought us Shake, Shake, Shake. Well, speaking of shake, shake, shaking, we're thinking about our shaking planet. And our moving planet has a lot going on, including earthquakes every single day. Our guest today on the show is earthquake geologist and science communicator, Dr. Wendy Rocks. Let's go over to Nathaniel. What are some of the things we can do to prepare for an earthquake? Fabulous question. So the first thing you want to do is know what to do if you feel shaking from an earthquake. And so in the United States, the biggest hazard that we have from earthquakes is usually things in our homes falling on top of us or in our school or in our workplace. And so you want to drop down to the ground, take cover underneath a sturdy object like a table, and then hold on to that table or whatever you're underneath until all the shaking has stopped. If you're not near a table or something you can get underneath, get next to a wall that doesn't have windows or have anything nearby that can fall on you, and then cover your head and your neck with your arms to make sure that if you get hit by something, it's not hitting all of those important things like your brain. Some other things that you can do are very similar to what you would do for any other kind of hazard, like a flood or a tornado or a hurricane. You want to have an earthquake kit or a hazard kit where you have food and water and medication, medical supplies, all of the things that you and your family, don't forget your pets, what they might need if you can't go to the store and can't have access to the things we're used to for a week or two. That's really smart. We have an example of what could be in your hazard kit. Go to this episode page at childrenshour.org. Look for our shaking planet. We're talking with Dr. Wendy Bohan, also known as Dr. Wendy Rocks. She's an earthquake geologist and a science communicator. We're learning about our shaking planet. What if you happen to be outside and it happens because it's kind of unexpected. You don't really know. What do you do? You sit down and enjoy the ride. Really? That's the safest thing to do is to just sit there? Yep. Buildings kill people. And secondary effects like landslides and tsunamis. So if you're outside in the desert or something, just sit down so you don't fall down. But as long as there's nothing that can fall on top of you, you're perfectly safe. What happens when an earthquake is under the water? What a good question. So earthquakes under the water, sometimes they just cause regular earthquakes and it just happens to be under the water. But sometimes special kinds of faults or a particular kind of fault called a thrust fault can lift up the ocean floor. And when that happens, it lifts up all the water on top of it, and then that water flows out in all directions, and that's how we get tsunamis. 
So most tsunamis are caused by underwater earthquakes, especially along those big subduction zones. Is there a way to limit earthquakes? That's a good question. Unfortunately, we can't. Earthquakes are a normal part of the way that our active planet operates. Earthquakes are just part of that system. And so we can't stop them. We just have to learn to live with them. Is there an earthquake a day somewhere in the world? Oh, there's thousands of earthquakes every day. Thousands a day? Around the world, yeah. Wow. We don't hear about them all, that's for sure. I've actually heard that sometimes if a hanging object is swinging, that shows that there's a really small earthquake happening. Yes, that can be a really good indicator for an earthquake. I love that you're thinking like that because we observe the world around us to understand what's happening. The way they're swinging gives you information about the direction where the earthquake was because it's going to push or pull the lights or the hanging plant or whatever it might be, usually push. And so you'll be able to say, well, it either came from this way or that way. You can't narrow it down any more than that, but you do kind of have an idea then about the direction. So we were kind of curious if earthquakes have any involvement with volcanoes. So, for example, can they trigger a volcano erupting or are they connected in any way or are they actually quite different? That's a great question. So they are often found together, but not always. Volcanoes will usually have earthquakes that accompany them. So there's magma below the surface, you know, below the ground. As it moves up towards the surface, it has to break the rocks and it cracks the rocks, causing something called volcanic tremor, which is a special kind of earthquake that shows us that uh, superheated gas and magma are on the move. Now, earthquakes don't necessarily trigger volcanic eruptions, although they can. Uh, If we take, say, Mount St. Helens, for instance, there was a big eruption at Mount St. Helens in the early 80s. And there was a a large magnitude earthquake that happened that actually caused this bulge to move down off the side of the mountain. And that's what triggered the eruption. So the earthquake actually triggered the volcano in that case. Wow. Well, do earthquakes ever reveal that magma too? Or they just don't go that far? I like the way you're thinking. And I want to answer it two different ways. The first thing is, if we all snap, what are you doing when you snap? You're taking two different sides of your fingers, pushing it together, and it's, it's putting friction and energy into the system. When your fingers move, it makes a noise, right? So an earthquake is like two pieces of the earth that are pushing together, and when they move, they release energy in the form of waves that we feel as shaking. When your fingers move, they release energy in the form of waves that we hear as a sound. So if the fault is actually open, it's like trying to snap your fingers without them touching. You wouldn't have an earthquake. So faults aren't actually cracks in the ground. They're pieces of rock that are touching each other that then move and break. Are there earthquakes on other planets and our moon? Absolutely, but they're called moonquakes and Marsquakes. (laughs) There's actually a seismometer on Mars that has been recording Marsquakes for the last several years, and they've recorded Marsquakes that are larger than a magnitude 5. And the moon, too? The moon has moonquakes? The moon has moonquakes, but not because of tectonics. It's usually because of changes in temperature that cause the rocks to crack and break and shift. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wendy Bohan is an earthquake geologist, and she's also a science communicator. Dr. Wendy Rocks is her website. You can find her link at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode, Our Shaking Planet. 
More with Dr. Wendy Rocks coming right up. This is the Kids Learning Tube right here on the Children's Hour. What makes the earth shake? It's called an earthquake. Let's learn about the seismic waves that make the ground break. What makes the earth shake? It's called an earthquake. The violent shaking along faults and tectonic plates. Millions of earthquakes happen on Earth each year. That's what the NEIC reports, but have no fear. About a half million are detectable, but most are so small. They can only be estimated because they can't be felt at all. Out of a half a million, only a hundred thousand are felt, it's true. And only a hundred out of that can cause damage that we can view. What is an earthquake and where can they be found? Most are found between tectonic plates between the ground. Seven major tectonic plates cover our earth, you see. These are the names of those plates and where they can be seen. This is the South American and Indo-Australian. The Antarctic plate and the African is great. The Eurasian Pacific plate and North American. We'll talk about minor plates in another lesson plan. There are three types of plate boundaries running between these tectonic plates you will see. Divergent, convergent, and transform. They all cause earthquakes. Let's see how they perform. Divergent boundaries move away from each other, producing rip valleys. Most active between oceanic plates, yes, plates out in the sea. Convergent boundaries move towards one another and collide. That's where you'll find most earthquakes and volcanoes do reside. Transform boundaries are two plates that slide past one another. The San Andreas fault lines, the best example of this to discover between these plate boundaries the earth moves inches each year but sometimes the plates get stuck that's where an earthquake does appear when pressure builds up from being stuck in this delay the rock breaks releasing energy causing seismic waves these seismic waves they shake the ground that is an earthquake let's see where massive quakes are found the most violent quakes happen in subduction zones no other that's where one tectonic plate is shoved beneath another one plate is forced down into the earth's mantle shown here the other plates forced upwards that's where the violent quake appears this is the same type of earthquake that rocked nepal in 2015 the gorka earthquake shook them all when a quake in a subduction zone happens on the ocean floor it can create a tsunami or tidal wave let's learn some more a tsunami also called a seismic sea wave is a large volume of water displaced in an ocean or large lake the largest tsunami that was ever recorded was 1720 feet tall in alaska that's enormous what makes the earth shake it's called an earthquake let's learn about the seismic waves that make the ground break what makes the earth shake it's called an earthquake the violent shaking along faults and tectonic plates We're talking with Dr. Wendy Bohan. She is an earthquake geologist. She's been with us for the whole hour at the Children's Hour here. And talking earthquakes, before we let you go, we must know, what's the deal with predicting earthquakes? We can predict so many things in life. Why can we not predict earthquakes? How come we can't tell? Well, there's a lot of things we don't know. 
you know, we can't get down to where earthquakes start. And so we can't directly see what's happening there. So we have to make a lot of educated guesses and we have to be creative in the ways that we study them. We're not exactly certain why earthquakes start. And we're also not entirely certain why they stop. So we had talked about how the magnitude of an earthquake depends on how much of the fault breaks. But the whole fault doesn't break in every earthquake. If they only go a little ways, that would be a tiny earthquake. But if they break the whole fault, that would be a really big earthquake. And nobody wants to know about the little earthquakes, the thousands of them that happen every day. Could you imagine? You only want to know about the big ones that you're going to feel and that might cause damage. So we just don't know when exactly those are going to happen because we haven't been able to find anything that tells us that, yes, this is exactly when the earthquake is going to happen. There's nothing. It's called a precursor. Nothing that happens before an earthquake. I have to ask you about hydraulic fracturing. That is where people who are drilling for fossil fuels can get some fossil fuels out of the earth by cracking down into the earth and somehow pushing water down in there and it it enables the gas and oil deposits to come up. We've seen a lot of tiny earthquakes that are around hydraulic fracturing sites, maybe where there weren't more earthquakes in the past. Does it cause earthquakes to do that? I mean, an earthquake is just rocks breaking. And so this is people breaking rocks. And so that causes little earthquakes. The larger and more problematic earthquakes are actually the second part of that process, which is called wastewater injection. So exactly like you said, people inject water into the ground to break the rocks apart, which lets them get the oil and gas out more easily. But then they suck everything out, that water and the oil and gas that they wanted. But now they have this sort of dirty water. And where are you going to put that? You want to clean it up so you can actually inject it back down very deep below any drinking water or groundwater, very deep into the earth. And the earth acts as a big sieve and can clean it all out. But the problem is if you inject that into an area where there are faults, it can lubricate the faults and cause larger earthquakes. Now, would those earthquakes have happened anyway? Sure, but maybe in a million years. Certainly not that day, that minute, that year. And so this was a big problem actually in Oklahoma. Oklahoma was the state that had the most earthquakes in 2009 in the United States, more earthquakes than California even because of hydraulic fracturing and wastewater injection. But now, you know, we know better what's happening. Areas are instrumented. And so people are able to control how much of that water they put back into the ground to make sure they don't do it too quickly and trigger more of these really large problematic earthquakes. Dr. Wendy Rocks, you are an earthquake geologist. What's the best part about being an earthquake geologist? Do you get to put like little pendulums everywhere to see if there's about to be an earthquake or... What's the most fun that you have doing your job? I really like being out in the field because being a geologist is like being a detective. And so when I go out and I look at the landscape, I can look at clues that past earthquakes have left behind to find where the faults are. I dig down inside of those faults and look at how past earthquakes have moved the rocks. And then I can date the timing of those earthquakes to figure out when they happened. And then if I do that in a lot of places, I can figure out about how big those earthquakes were. And we do know that the past is the key to the future. So if we understand the earthquakes that happened in the past, we have a better idea of what could happen in the future. And then we can help to prepare for that. So we want to make sure we know how big earthquakes can be so that we can build buildings and bridges 
and roads and infrastructure to withstand that level of shaking so that we can keep everybody safe. Because if we don't know what to expect, it's really hard to know what to plan for. Hmm. So you were talking about earthquakes of the past, and it made me curious, do we have more earthquakes now in Earth's history, or were there more earthquakes a long time ago, say when the planet first formed? That's a great question, and I don't know the answer to that. We do know that over the course of recorded history, earthquakes seem to be fairly constant. There's a natural variation. Sometimes there's a few more, sometimes there's a few less, but it does seem to be pretty constant over time. I don't know that that was always the case. And in fact, earthquake history, earthquake science is pretty young. You know, we didn't even know that there was such a thing as plate tectonics until the late 60s. You know, my teachers didn't study plate tectonics when they got their PhD. So that was a brand new idea. And a lot of the things that we're doing now, because we have such good technology, we're learning really fast and we're learning things that we didn't know. So if you're interested in learning about the earth and learning about scientific ideas and discovering brand new things, this is a really new field and there's a lot of space and opportunity for lots of people to come and study and help us to understand our changing, moving, shaking earth. Dr. Wendy Bohan is an earthquake geologist and a science communicator, and she'll come to your classroom. You can learn more about her. Go to drwendyrocks.com. We appreciate so much you being with us on the Children's Hour. We have learned so much about our shaking planet, and it's thrilling and exciting and terrifying and wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And remember, don't be scared. Be prepared. Put your hands in a fist like big rocks under the ground. Push, pull, push. Then suddenly the push and pulling makes the big rocks break Then in the layers of the earth it becomes an earthquake Put your head flat with the friends like the earth's plates under the ground Bump, slide, bump Slide. Suddenly the bump and slide and makes the plate shake. Then in the ground of the earth, it becomes an earthquake. Earthquakes happen when breaks occur in the layers of rock within the earth. Big layers of rock are pulled and squeezed, sometimes hard, sometimes easy. If they're pulled and squeezed enough, energy gets too much. Pull, squeeze, push, shake. If the rocks break, earthquake. Shimmy, shimmy, shake, shake, shimmy, shimmy, shake, shake. Swallow, rumble, tumble, that's what happens in an earthquake. Shimmy, shimmy, shake, shake, shimmy, shimmy, shake, shake. Spins and releases, that's
Jimmy Shoe Rumble, rumble, tumble, that's what happens in an Shimmy, shimmy, shake, shake, shimmy, shimmy, shake, shake, squeeze and release, that's what happens in an earthquake, squeeze and release, that's what happens in an earthquake. You're listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back. Thanks to the Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque, New Mexico, for hosting the Children's Hour. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by United Way of North Central New Mexico. Support provided by the City of Albuquerque and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Bernalillo County is a proud supporter of the Children's Hour. Many thanks to the users at tokenibis.org who direct funds to the Children's Hour every week. Volcano! 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 Year 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius erupted, burying the nearby cities of Herculaneum and Pompeii in a layer of hot, scalding ash and rock known as a pyroclastic flow. Nearly 2,000 years after the eruption, the preserved remains of the inhabitants of Pompeii were discovered and excavated. A terrifying reminder of the volcano's awesome strength. Krakatoa, Indonesia, one of the loudest volcanic eruptions ever recorded. With an eruption loud enough to be heard 3,000 miles away, it resulted in a tsunami so large, more than 30,000 people perished as a result. Another sobering reminder of the volcano's awesome strength. That's the Amoeba people right here on the Children's Hour. Over the break, you heard Poddington Bear. And before that, Earthquake was Jack Hartman from Cool Beats That Teach. Today on the show, we're talking about our shaking planet. And we learned a lot about earthquakes, but now we wanted to learn a little bit more about volcanoes. And so with us on the show is Dr. Masumi Roy. She's a professor and lecturer at the University of New Mexico in the Department of Physics and Astronomy with a specialty in earth sciences. And Dr. Roy, welcome to the Children's Hour. We really want to know about the connection between earthquakes and volcanoes. How are they linked? That's the kind of question that, you know, 
when you think about earthquakes and volcanoes, you think, well, what's the connection between them? And it's only really been in the last few tens of years that people have quantitatively said there is a connection. And in some cases, when you have an earthquake, the seismic waves passing through the region of a volcano has been shown to kind of trigger a volcanic eruption. It doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while, we've, we know it can happen. What makes earthquakes and volcanic eruptions happen? So the outside of the earth is very stiff, and the inside of it can flow over very, very long times. So it's kind of like the planet is got a rigid shell on the outside, but the inside moves very, very slowly over hundreds of millions of years. And that rigid shell can move around. And as it does so, places where two parts of the shell, these are called the plates of plate tectonics, where those plates rub, that's where you get earthquakes. And sometimes when the plates come together, you get volcanoes there. Sometimes you get volcanoes where the plates are pulled apart. So everything that happens regarding earthquakes and volcanoes on the earth is tied to this thing called plate tectonics. And that's the motion of these rigid plates on the outside of the planet. Are there any active volcanoes near Albuquerque like right now? The most recent lava activity in the whole state of New Mexico was many thousands of years ago. So no, there are no active volcanoes right near Albuquerque right now. How does a volcano become inactive? Oh, that's a great question. So when we look at volcanoes and the people that study volcanoes go to places which have lots of active volcanoes, places like um, Sumatra and Indonesia, other parts of Indonesia and Japan and, and the Aleutian Trench in Alaska, all these places have lots of active volcanoes, including in the U.S., the Cascades, right? There's Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens. And in many of these places, what you find is that the volcano will erupt for a while and then be quiet for a while, and then will erupt for a while and then be quiet for a while. So this kind of pattern of sudden eruption and then more quiet activity is something that happens at all volcanoes. But in some cases, the entire volcano might shut off for millions of years. And that can happen if the magma, which is the molten rock, stops being supplied to the bottom of the volcano. And if that happens, then whatever magma might be there might get a chance to actually freeze and become solid, and there will be no more eruptions. I've heard that if there's a volcano, there might be hot springs. Yeah, so... The heat and activity, the magmatic activity, like, you know, when you think about molten magma, that might still exist today at great depth beneath. And that heat is still coming out. And what happens is rainwater falls and goes into these cracks and gets taken very deep down and gets heated up and then comes back out as hot spring water. What is a supervolcano? A supervolcano is one of these huge eruptions where more than a hundred cubic kilometers of stuff comes out of the earth in a single eruption. Can you give us a sense of how much is a hundred cubic 
kilometers. So 100 cubic kilometers is about six miles by six miles by about uh, one kilometer deep. So if you were to take a six mile by six mile area and dug down something like a kilometer into the earth and removed all that dirt, that's how much material gets erupted in a 100 cubic kilometer eruption. And a super volcano is something that's a lot bigger than that. So that's kind of a cutoff for that. What kind of rocks and minerals are in that? And what kind of things form from all that volcanic activity? So volcanic activity, first of all, is really a powerful way in which some of the most fertile parts of the earth gets their soil. So a lot of these minerals that are involved in volcanic eruptions include minerals that can be found in rocks that are called rhyolite and basalt. You might have heard of those kinds of names. So those are the kinds of rocks that form from volcanic eruptions. But it also turns out that in Albuquerque, we live right next to the Sandia Mountains, which are also what's called an igneous rock. But that rock is granite, and it's the magma that would have erupted but never did. And that's it's magma that froze underground and never got erupted. So that's another way volcanoes make rocks. That's Dr. Masumi Roy. She's a professor of physics and astronomy at the University of New Mexico with a specialty in earth science. We've got a book review coming up from Thaniel right after this. Nolan Scientific Films presents... Volcanoes. Volcanology and you. And plate tectonics. Johnny and Sally don't know it, but they're standing on they a tectonic They go together. Plate, moving over the viscous mantle of the earth. Like peanut butter. Oh, like rubbing together two halves. And jelly. You get two plates. Pieces of convergent plate Ooh, mountains. they're getting crowded. from the Children's Hour with a book review on the book Greeking Out by Kenny Curtis and Jillian Hughes illustrated by Jay Espilla published by National Geographic Kids Greeking Out is a book that adapts a bunch of stories from Greek mythology in a way that is age-appropriate for kids Zeus, Hercules, Hades, Kronos, Apollo and many more appear in this epic retelling of Greek myths 
The Book Greeking Out is an extension of a podcast by the same name, though listening to the podcast is not required to understand or enjoy this book. But before we get into my review, I need to establish some context. In my experience, books have struggled with capturing the attention of modern general audiences. Non-fiction books have to compete with movies and games, which can often deliver a better sense of instant gratification, and with the lowering attention spans of younger generations, books have become less and less appealing as a source of entertainment as time has gone on. Furthermore, books are also a much greater time sink and commitment than things like movies and certain shows, which means that a bad book can leave a much worse impression than a bad movie. Non-fiction books have it even harder as they need to compete with the digital age and Wikipedia articles, which give all the same information in a more condensed and approachable manner. Greeking Out is kind of in a weird place, or is both fiction and non-fiction, in the sense that yeah, all of these stories are made up, but the stories are also so old and tell a lot about the culture they came from, making it similar to social studies or history. The reason I'm telling you all this is just to highlight how impressive it is that Greeking Out was not only able to hold my attention till the end, but also left me wanting more. Many adaptations of Greek mythology are either so faithful and uncensored that even the most lax parents wouldn't dare show them to their children, or so sanitized and bland that epic battles feel more like a playdate. But Greeking Out strikes a good balance in a way that I really appreciate. Many stories for children, I feel, underestimate and undervalue kids' intelligence, sanitizing and removing all artistry in the process. But Greeking Out understands that kids can handle and appreciate complex topics. You just simply need to show them in the right and appropriate way. So Greeking Out is honest with kids, ensuring how these stories played out while remaining accessible and appropriate for all ages, which when dealing with Greek mythology is no short task. One minor complaint I have about the book is the humor. While there are a few jokes that I chuckled at, most I felt range from middling to a few even being annoying. I found that most of the jokes relied too much on modern slang, which can work if not used in access and combined with other jokes, but unfortunately, most of the time, modern slang was just used as the joke, which got old fast. Thankfully though, this is still just a small complaint, because Greeking Out accomplished what it set out to do, which was adapt Greek mythology for a younger audience while not compromising good writing, complex characters, fun art direction, and artful storytelling. So I give it 4 out of 5 green chilies, which coming from someone who can be very critical of books, is a great accomplishment. This was my review of Greeking Out by Kenny Curtis and Jillian Hughes, illustrated by Jay Espilla, published by National Geographic Kids. My name is Daniel, and thank you for listening. The ancient Greeks had many gods, you might like to know, that lived on Mount Olympus a long time ago. Apart from Hades, you get 12 or 13 if you count. This pantheon of deities residing on the mount There was Zeus, Hera, Dionysus, and Poseidon too Apollo and Hephaestus, to name just a few Athena, Ares, Hermes, Aphrodite, Artemis Demeter and Hestia included on the list 
Olympus king and Hera queen in Greek mythology. Dionysus made wine and Poseidon ruled the seas. Apollo was the god of light and also played the lyre. Hephaestus was a blacksmith and played with fire. There was Zeus, Hera, Dionysus and Poseidon too. Apollo and Hephaestus to name just a few. Athena, Ares, Hermes, Aphrodite, Artemis, Demeter, and Hestia included on the list. Athena was the goddess of wisdom and of war. Ares was a warrior if you wanted more. Hermes was the messenger of the gods above. Aphrodite was the one you prayed to when you were in love. Artemis was the goddess of the moon and hunt. Demeter helped ensure the harvest was abundant. There was Zeus, Hera, Dionysus and Poseidon too. Apollo and Hephaestus to name just a few. Athena, Ares, Hermes, Aphrodite, Artemis, Demeter and Hestia included on the list. Others roamed, but Hestia stayed at home instead. Also in the underworld, Hades ruled the dead. There was Zeus, Hera, Dionysus, and Poseidon too. Apollo and Hephaestus to name just a few. Athena, Ares, Hermes, Aphrodite, Artemis, Demeter, and Hestia included on the list. Zeus, Hera, Dionysus, and Poseidon too. Apollo and Hephaestus to name just a few. Athena, Ares, Hermes, Aphrodite, Artemis, Demeter, and Hestia included on the list. That was Peter Weatherall. And before Thaniel's review, you heard the Board of Education. We'll be back next time with another edition of the Children's Hour. The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. You can find photos, links, learn-along guides, and more about us at childrenshour.org. Today's show was produced by me, Katie Stone, with help from our senior producer, Christina Stella. We also had production support from Eli Henley. Many thanks to Dr. Masumi Roy and Dr. Wendy Bohan for being with us on the show today. Find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or go to our patreon.com slash the children's hour. Or ask your smart speaker to play the children's hour podcast. We post our photos and more on Instagram and Facebook. Find us at TCH Radio. Our theme music was written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by PRX and by the Pacifica Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio.